when we have to start thinking about a churban, a churban something that was obviously so much more than the destruction of a structure, of a building. When the Rambam discusses the halacha of building a Beis HaMikdash, he says that Beis HaMikdash is necessary for Kurbanos, and so that we can have Aliyah Laregel three times a year. Three times a year, Jewish people all go up to Yerushalayim, to the Beis HaMikdash, it's an interesting thing. There are so many things that the Beis Mikdash had. Karbonos, various aspects of Avoda, but in summing up what the Beis Mikdash was all about, the Rambam includes and focuses on the idea of Aliyah Laregel. And there's certainly a sense of Aliyah Laregel that it was something that involved all of us, involved all of Klal Yisrael. But Aliyah Laregel is something that we have that Klal Yisrael is lauded for the beauty of us going to be Ola Regel. We are referred to as Bas Nediv, the children of Avram Avinu, Chazal say. The importance of Ali Regel is to counteract something that we just learned about a few minutes ago. Kisolid banim uvnevanim, when you give birth to children and grandchildren, v'no shantem and you will have been in a land for a long time. Nushantem, and you become old in Eretz Yisrael. When we have to fight for something, when there's something that we are struggling to have its value and its purpose and its importance to us is so palpable. It's something that, that we don't have to be reminded of. It's something that we feel. But when we hit a point, when we have something and we become used to it, it gets old. It gets old and it loses its chiyos. It loses its life force. It loses its fire. And that, that's the beginning of a chorba. It's the psukim start. The pasuk starts, Kisolid banim uvnei vanim. When you give birth to children and grandchildren, why does it say, Kisolid banim, when you give birth, or when you're in Eretz Yisrael, v'noshantem be'aretz, and you're there for a long time. 
Why does it say, Because it's describing that Klal Yisrael has gotten to Eretz Yisrael. And we're living there and we even have children. And we even have grandchildren. And that is a time in which all of a sudden we start to take for granted Eretz Yisrael. We take for granted being in a place with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We take for granted all of those things that we longed for, that we fought for, that we lived for. And they suddenly become things that are no longer so important. We forget what's so chashuv about them. And what follows is And that's when Klal Yisrael begins to stray. The Mikdash had an Eish Tamid. The Mikdash had an element of it that was Tamid. It had, <coughs> had clockwork avoda, things that happened every single day. But at the same time, it also had Ali Regel. Because Ali Regel is the idea of taking Regel, it's taking Hergel, things that we become used to. The Regel is one of the more automatic parts of ourselves. And we, when we have that, when we are operating in Hergel, when we operate in ways in which we're just kind of used to doing what we do and just going about it day in and day out, the fire gets lost. Aliyah regel is to take that and to be oiled. Vayisa Yaakov Raglov, infusing us with a sense of chiyas, infusing the mikdash with a sense of chiyas, so that the regel is lifted. The lechem haponim in the Beis HaMikdash was something that stayed fresh from week to week. The Kohanim would show Klal Yisrael and marvel at the idea that look, a week later, the chalas, the lechem, it's still fresh, it's still hot. Because true avodas Hashem, true connection to Hashem, is something that's tamid, it's something that's there always, but at the same time, it's something that has a, f- a freshness to it. It's something that's able to retain that newness, that excitement. Every time a person came to the Beis HaMikdash, the person was able to be mechudash. A person was able to become someone and something new. That's what the tremendous maila of Ali Regal was all about. It was something that was able, mayafu pa'amoyach, pa'amoyach are steps. It also means when something is beating inside of you, that it made that heartbeat surge it made that come alive, that Ruach Elohim, that spirit of Hashem, began to beat in every single Yid, every single time Klal Yisrael went up to the Beis HaMikdash. So three times a year, Klal Yisrael had the opportunity to go and revive themselves, to pump themselves up. And without a Beis HaMikdash, we live in a world in which the things that we have become old, when we're kisolid banum uvnevanum chas v'shalom, we could become a state, people can enter a state of v'noshantem. That, yeah, we're just kind of used to this. And we see it in so many different ways. We see it, it's just looking at the way, look at Eretz Yisrael right now. That it was something that people had to f- fight for. It was something 
that so many died for. It was something that for thousands of years was the longing of every single Jew. Yerushalayim, Eretz Yisrael. And what's going on right now with the discord and the, the inability to chart a course forward it's because of Vinoshanta. It's because the, the, the value of what it was, when it gets old, it gets lost. Yiddishkeit, in general, we have so much opportunity for mitzvahs, for mitzvah observance, for doing things. Not just doing things, but doing things right, doing things the best way. Once upon a time, if your town had a lul of an esrog, Nobody looked too closely what anything looked like. If it looked like a luluf and it smelled like an esrog, it was good enough because there was no other choice. That's all you had. And now we bar Hashem. Chal Yisrael has so much. Matzah, shofar, every single mitzvah we have the opportunity to do in so many different ways, in so many wonderful ways. And yet, and yet we find that unfortunately there's so much there's a sense of, of people straying, leaving the fold, not sticking with Torah and mitzvahs. But we got so much. We could do it better than everybody else could, but when we stop fighting for something and it grows old on us and we don't ever infuse it with new chiyos, and we don't infuse it with new life, so then we run the risk of roshanta. It's there, but it becomes like rote. It becomes just habitual and we lose that fire we lose that passion we lose that beating heart of HaKadosh Baruch Hu inside of us in the world of Ruchnius there's an Eshtamid there's something that's always but there's also a sense of Alila Regal something that recharges us when we think about longing for Abes HaMikdash when we think about the devastation of what was lost one of those things was this idea that we could be Ola Regel, that I can go and just recharge myself. We could go back and have, not just because I ignored it for X amount of time and now I'm going to re-see something and reignite it. It's that, no, every time you went, there was something new. There was this new sense of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we were able to get. And we don't have that anymore. And we have to be mitzapeth. We have to hope. We have to daven. We have to think in our hearts that we're missing something. There's something that we want. There's something that we need. And that we should be zolcha, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings it back to us. Bimheirav Yameinu. Kinas begins with Kinavav. Kinas are very, very difficult. The Hebrew is... It's very hard. The tzura of a kina, the tzura of, of what kinos are, is imagine someone crying out of devastation. When a person is crying, when a person is hysterical, and you're trying to find out what went wrong, you, you, you meet someone and they're crying hysterically. And at first they can't speak. And then when they speak, they're saying something about this and something about that. A person's thoughts when they're lost in that devastation are totally disjointed. 
You, you, you can't string together a straight sentence, certainly not a straight paragraph about anything, because you're just so overwhelmed by everything that seems to have gone wrong. Akina is an expression, an expression of that kind of feeling. And therefore, it's not something that's going to just smoothly rhyme and make sense and present us with a straight thought in poetic form. These are just bursts of devastation coming from the different Paitanim, coming from the different Bali Akinos. And that makes it very, very difficult for us to plug into it because somebody who experienced the same devastation can perhaps plug into what that feeling was. But we're kind of lost almost 2,000 years after the most recent Chorban. And for us to be able to truly appreciate what they were feeling and what was lost, it's, it's, it's so hard for us. So what we try to do is we try to take a little piece from each of the kinos, try to get a sense of maybe what the greater kina is all about and take a, 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 a segment from the kina, focus on it, and give ourselves something to think about as we go through it. This first kina, we have a longing, <laughs> that Yerushalayim has fallen and it's sunk. My eye is longing for the vision of Zechariah. The vision of Zechariah that's being referenced is, Zechariah says, And Zechariah has a beautiful vision of you have elderly men and elderly women sitting in the streets of Yerushalayim, each one with their cane, each one holding their stick. And the streets of the city are filled with boys and girls playing in the streets of Yerushalayim. It's a fascinating focus for a nevuah. It doesn't say anything about Besamikdash. He's not, he's not mentioning Avoda. He's talking about elderly men, elderly women, children, all of them occupying the streets of Yerushalayim. It's a reference, obviously, to an idea of having a Klal Yisrael in its completeness, in its wholeness. There were generations not so long ago where there were no children, where after the war, people came together and there were no children around. And then, growing up, 60s, 70s, 80s, there were a lot of people who didn't have grandparents, never met them, never knew them. The idea that you have a full Klal Yisrael you have the elderly, you have the children, all together. Gives us a sense of the Hemshech Hadoros. Gives us a sense of what Klal Yisrael is in its most pristine form. 
is a series of generations, each one passing on something to the next. It's not only that there's a Beis HaMikdash, but there is a Hemshech, there are people there who are taking, and from one generation to another generation to another generation, they're able to create a Hemshech, a continuation of old to young. And generations that did not have any gaps, generations that were passing down MS, that were passing down clarity. And with the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, that sense in Klal Yisrael of there being able to be a Hemshech, where we just peacefully are able to pass, and not even, Klal Yisrael hasn't been able to have a, a sense of being able to be in one place and just physically pass things down for extended periods of time. B'liayin Hara, we're spoiled right now. But the, the sense of being able to be in one place and to keep generations flowing, and to have that with MS, to have that with the Sanhedrin, to have that with Avodas Hashem, that was something that we had with the Beis HaMikdash. And that's part of what we longed for. That we have the elderly and the young all sitting in Yerushalayim, all having the same truth pass through them from generation to generation. Next, Kina Kinezayin, page 158 in the Art Scroll. One of the stanzas, Echa Hagta Behegyo Necha, Mahadayf Biat Haylalim Hamonecha. How did you plan in your thoughts to push your multitudes into the hand of the raucous and not recall Velozacharta Viud Vesek Veses, Asher Vaadata Viadata Leviudecha? the assembly hall, the seasonal stronghold that you designated for your meeting partners. HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't remember or seems not to care, not to have us in his Beis HaMikdash and rather he's allowing the Goyim to get together and to have us be in his hands. There's a contrast that we have. There's a contrast that's supposed to be. When the Goyim get together, what we experience, the immorality, the pogroms, when we get together, we have Alila Regel, of getting together to learn, to grow. The best of us comes out when Klal Yisrael is able to get together. When we get together for Kedusha that serves as a surge for Aliyah. When Klal Yisrael gets together for Asiyah Mashas. When Klal Yisrael gets together for Adirei HaTorah. When we get together in a shul, that brings a roimamus, that brings a loftiness, that brings kedusha into our world. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in his upset at us, has traded one for the other.
And it tells us to ask ourselves, do we value that which, what, what it means when we get together? Do we value what we can gain by being united all together? Do we value what we have when we are able to be together? And if we do so, perhaps HaKadosh Baruch Hu will recognize that our getting together is that which is best for us as opposed to what we have now. Page 162. On the fourth line, so think about the crying that we did in the midbar. We have a cry that we did in the Midbar, obviously referring to the night of Tishabav when Klal Yisrael's faith in Bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu obviously was lacking. And we have a cry of only we could be back in the Midbar. When we live in this world, we naturally, very naturally, we want to know that the things that we need, we have. We want to know that like, I know what I'm gonna eat tonight. I know that I'm going to be able to pay my electric bill, have air conditioning. I know that I have the job that I need, I have the people in my life that I need. But when we have all of those things, which we should all have, it's natural that it cuts us off from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's, that's what naturally follows. So then I have everything I need. If I have everything I need, so then, well, what do I need HaKadosh Baruch Hu for? Needing Hashem and having it all, those are two things that are very hard for human beings to really wrap their minds around. The chait of the midbar, the way we fix it, is for a person to say, I want to be in a midbar. I want to live a life that's totally reliant and totally plugged in to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And one time I heard from Rav Nachman Bulman, he said, he was telling me about some forms of, uh, of our shared ancestry that, that he was aware of. And he said that there's some story back in few, many generations back of some great-great-great-grandfather who had lived in Yerushalayim and one night was heard crying in the streets of Yerushalayim. And somebody asked him, what are you crying about? And he said, I have food for tomorrow. I, I, I like to live day to day. But now I have food for tomorrow. So he felt like HaKadosh Baruch Hu was pushing him away by saying, you don't need me tomorrow. 
because you already got it in the bank. It's a sense of living with Hashem, and obviously, it's not. No, no one is, is, uh, is expected to start going off and living their life as a hobo, uh, trying to make things from day to day. But it's a sense of living with Hakadosh Baruch Hu as a reality. One of the great survivors of the Holocaust. Every survivor of the Holocaust obviously was someone great, but one of the G'daylem who survived the Holocaust, his name was Rav Gershon Libman, and he wasn't, he, he, wasn't never, he wasn't on the American scene afterwards. He was a Nevardiker. He was someone who had been uh, one of the Talmidim of the Nevardik Yeshiva, Nevardik Musr movement. He ended up going through camps. And after the war, when he emerged, he was in France, and he set up all that is Yiddishkeit in France, schools, etc., yeshivas. He was the one who was behind the, 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 the surge of trying to build a framework of Yiddishkeit. His the, 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 the way of Navardic is, is, is one that is extremely connected with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It involves a truth and an allegiance to MS with, that, that, that knows no bounds. And it is, uh, there, there's, it is very, very demanding. It demands that one just be totally and completely plugged in to and dedicated to what they believe is MS. Rav Gershon Libin used to tell a story. He had a Talmud in the camp, in the camps. There was a Talmud of his that was sentenced to death. He's going to be put to death. And he was isolated somewhere. And Rav Gershon and a few Talmidim wanted to go and say goodbye to him. And they walked in to the place where he was hidden. And the guard, the Nazi guard outside this, this jail said to him, I counted how many people are going in. There better be the same amount of people that come out because if you try to smuggle him out, you're all dead. They go in, they speak to him, give him chizik, and as they're about to leave, the Talmud who's sentenced to death says to him, you think I could just like, either if we just walk out as a pack, could we try that? And Reb Gershon said, he told us that he's gonna kill all of us, it's also for us to do that. We're not allowed to do that. Rebershin and the other Talmidim walked out of the jail and the guard wasn't there. His whole life, Rebershin regretted. He said, there I was. He had a request, he wanted to walk out. Why shouldn't I, why didn't I rely on Hashem? Why didn't I just say, the Baruch Hu, it's going to take care of this. 
the reality, the idea of living with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He beat himself up for the rest of his life that he could have saved that life and he didn't. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu was his reality. That's what it means to live in a midbar with Hashem. With the reality where I know that yes, I get a monthly paycheck, but that paycheck isn't coming from my boss and it's not because I have a job, it's because everything that happens in my life is something that is directly coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When we were in the Midbar, we had a chance to go into Eretz Yisrael with that sense of being with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we blew it, we said, nah, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna handle this teva? We got all our sense of connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is something that we need to work on. It's something that we need to have. He needs to be alive within us. He needs to be our reality. And when we have that, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when we feel that way, HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows it to us. He brings it to us. Brings it to us as individuals and will bring it to us as a nation. Adet Chuk Next Kina Kinates. Patsu Zedim, page 170. Patsu Zedim, the wanton ones jeer. Lifnimit Chale, who are you davening to? I'm Kevin Avon Pakad Vila, your nation that sins so much. Lotachako Oda Mofes Vefela, Ana Venasa Venam Vimadele. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has left you. The Goyim say to us, who are you davening to? We, we say, uh, we, we, we daven to Hashem. And they said, what do you think you're doing? Don't you realize that Hashem has left you? When we recognize that we have its sorrow, and we recognize that it comes from Hashem, and the Goyim say, yeah, you're right, but what are you gonna do about it? And we say, well, yeah, we'll talk to Hashem. And then, he said, then they say, but he's not listening. He's not there. He left you. It takes away the hope for anything more. But we, we continue to hope and we continue to daven. One of the fathers lost two kids in Mayron, two of his children. There was an interview with him where he described how that night, after his children left this world and he found out, he said, I cried and I davened all night. You've taken away my kids, but please, 
please don't take away my amuna. Because what we need most is that hope, that hope that things could turn around, or that things could be better one day, or that things can become all right, and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is listening to us and can make it so. story is told nineteen forty four was towards the very end of the war and there were a group of eleven hundred prisoners, mostly Jews and the Nazis were running out of ways, running out of time to exterminate them. They gathered them all into a barn, doused it with gasoline, lit it on fire. And they surrounded that barn, of course, with soldiers with machine guns, no one could run away. And the cries began to come out of that barn, rending the heavens. And all of a sudden, after the flames had taken a hold of the barn and everything was going up, very, very dark clouds gathered in, in the sky and a torrential storm began that put out the fire. And there were 84 people who staggered out of that barn to life. The Germans weren't done. They gathered up those 84 people and they put them into some sort of truck and they were going to drive them into the woods shoot them as they're driving one of the Germans turns to one of the Jewish teenagers and says new sing something so this Jewish kid starts to sing and he sings what was a very haunting melody the other Jews in the group picked it up and they started singing along with him soon the Germans and the other prisoners also began humming along as they were nearing the clearing in the forest that they were going to be exterminated in German asked the kid, what are the words of the song? It was April 14th. So the kid said, the song is Vihisha Amdala Vasenu Volanu. 
this is what stood for us and for our fathers. That in every generation, somebody tries to extinguish them, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu saves us from their hands. The German broke out in raucous laughter. He said, really? You still saying that? That's what you think? You're about to be shot. And just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. They start lining them up, and the executions begin. And this young man and his cousin, they're towards the end of the line. First 10 are shot, next 10, next 10, next 10. When there are 15 left, all of a sudden the Jeep pulls up and tells the Germans who are shooting, stop what you're doing, we just surrendered to the Soviet army. The ability to keep that hope, the ability to be, have been through the, to, to be that Sheiris Hapleta, that literal last remnant, to have survived that fire, to be on your way to being shot, and to sing. That Baruch Hu, He could save us from their hands. That's the hope that remains alive and needs to remain alive in every single one of us. Next, Kina Kina Yud. Kina says, Darche Hechel Shomamu Kinefrat Kasloi. The roads, the Darche Hechel, the roads to Yushalayim, were silenced. We talked about that earlier. The inability to have Aliyah Regel. Kinifrat's Kasloi, when its wall was breached, Vahameil Knikra Psilo, and the bells on the Me'il were also silenced. There's a focus over here on the walls, there's a focus over here on the Me'il. We have an appreciation for Kedusha. We have an appreciation for the fact that we're special, that we have an innate connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we have things, we have Torah, we have mitzvos that are so uplifting. But what bothers us sometimes is that Kedusha comes with Havdalah. Kedusha comes with separation. We need to be different, but we don't like to be different. As soon as the wall of the Besamikdus is breached, the Me'il had on it an edge that had bells. It was something that was uh, an act of tzniyas, that the coin Gadol should let be known 
when he was entering a room, when he was coming into some place, when all of that is lost, when that sense of Havdalah, when that sense of separation, when the walls come down, that's where the destruction of Kedusha begins. It's all rooted in that pirta, in that break in the wall. It's, it's hard for us. We live in a world that's in many ways welcoming. We live in a world that externally seems aligned with us. But when we don't take action and we're not mindfully separating ourselves from this world, then what's going on in it creeps into us. Something that I dealt with in the last year that was just... It's like one of these things where like I just I couldn't believe the the conversations I couldn't believe that such a thing was happening it's not something that happened here or Hashem but something that I was dragged into someone a couple had discovered that they were having a child that was going to have some disabilities and while the news of that is beyond frightening and scary and the, the, the way it throws a life into or lives into just the unknown is something that's so hard to deal with but the conversation that we were having with a from Shema Shabbos, Kashrus, Torah, Mitzvahs couple was about having an abortion. And while we don't belong on any side of the American debate about this, what the Torah says is nuanced, what Halacha says requires das Torah to, dis, to decide and to define what's what. But it hit me after a few rounds of the conversation, how did this start? Where did this come from? that there was possibility A, possibility B, possibility C, and how did this get into the thought process of someone who is otherwise a quote-unquote law-abiding Torah citizen that because something is just too unknown or too hard or it doesn't fit the plan, that we could just do this because. And I was thinking that it's because when we live in a world in which we are surrounded and pounded 
by different ideas and ideals, if we're not careful, they intrude on our thought processes. And things that we may have once taken for granted as being just not acceptable, not an option for us, all of a sudden, they creep into one's consciousness as, well, why not? What's wrong with it? Is it so bad? And it gives, it, 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 it was just a, a, a very sobering recognition of how when we live in a world and we don't have walls and we don't have havdalah, we don't have separation, where we're walking in a world, we're not, we're not ghettoizing ourselves. We, we are totally and completely engaged in a world, in all ways, but yet be able to say to ourselves that these are ideas that are outside and they don't make their way inside. It's something that requires work, it's something that requires attention. When we had a base of Mikdash, and we had literally our own world of Ruchnius, it was surrounded by a wall. And we mark the days that the walls are breached because the breaching of the wall, when things start creeping in, when it's no longer just the purity of what's inside that room, what's inside that, what's inside that, that Mikdash, what's inside that Yid, when that's no longer all that there is and other things come and dilute it, that's the beginning of the Chorban. So as we lament a Chorban Besam Mikdash, it's with the sense of the idea that the Chorban begins when things start creeping in. The Chorban begins when things, when, when the Havdalah, when the, 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 the separation and the defined delineation of that's you and this is me, that's us and this is them. When that falls apart, that's when all the Kedusha falls out and that's when a Mikdash becomes destroyed. <laughs> So we have a kinah that Yirmiyahu gives on Yoshio HaMelech. Yoshio HaMelech was an unbelievable leader of Klal Yisrael. The, his death is considered a national tragedy that lives on thousands of years later because, as we'll say, that Lokam Kamohu, there was no leader like him in the positive effect on Klal Yisrael that he had. He, he was the grandson of Menashe, the Rasha, and Yoshio comes, he discovers Sefer Torah, reads from it, and is inspired to create a mass movement of tshuva for all of Klal Yisrael. 
And he does so in an un- in unbelievable form. It's, it's unbelievable how Klal Yisrael rallied behind, spiritually, rallied behind him and was on board. And it reached a point where Avodah to the best of his knowledge, was rooted out of Eretz Yisrael, of Klal Yisrael. Uh, there's again a reference in the Kinnah to the late Sunni Hadar that had, that there were still private Avodah that were hidden, even though he had really Avodah police that were going and ridding Klal Yisrael of all of the Avodah There were those that slipped through his fingers. And there comes a time where Paro wants to go and pass through Eretz Yisrael to go fight with someone else. And Yoshio refused to let him go. Yoshio refused to let him pass through, saying that, no, Klal Yisrael is in a place of, uh, it's, it's, it's this wonderful state of spirituality. The Pasuk says that you're not supposed to have a sword pass through your land. And since things are so great now on a spiritual level, it is time to invoke that as kind of the way we operate. And therefore, he refused to let him pass. He does not follow the advice of the Nevi'im. Chulda HaNevi'ah tells him that it's not the thing to do. And Yemiyo tells him that he's also going the wrong way. But he doesn't listen and says, no, Paro, you can't pass through. Paro fights back. And ultimately, Yoshiyahu is killed. Yoshio is killed. Hundreds of arrows piercing him. And as he dies, there's actually a, a, a description of his last death in which he says, Tzadiku Hashem, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Tzadiki Piu Marisi, I rebelled against what he said. I didn't listen to what HaKadosh Baruch Hu had said, and that's why, that's why he's dying, and that's why what happened, happened. Chazal say on the word Pihu, Tzadiku Hashem Piu Upum Sarsure, that it's the mouth of Hashem and the mouth of his shliach and the mouth of his messenger that were right and I was wrong. Once upon a time, there were Nevi'im in Klal Yisrael who gave us instruction, who told us what to do and who told us what we were doing wrong. And listening to someone else's musr having the capacity to open your mind to the criticism that you hear from another, well-founded criticism, spiritual criticism, that is something that, when if a person does it, Rabbi Yonah lauds such a person, he says that such a person is able to listen to someone else and turn themselves around in such a way is mamish like that, that is, the person literally becomes a new person is the way he describes it. But, when we also, in our world, hear words that you have somebody who's direct, directly mochiach you, directly tells you where you could be better, 
when we experience things that we feel give us a message of like, maybe I should be more like that. Maybe that's something that is speaking to me because it's kind of talking about something that I'm not so good at. How do we react to that? One of the Hanhagas, one of the ways that uh, in the Vardik, one, one of their, uh, in, in, in yeshivas in the Vardik, what they would do is they would get together and they would rip each other apart. They would, no holds barred, musr, because they were able to handle the message, they were hand, able to handle the vehicle of the message, but a person being able to hear what someone else or what life is telling them, that is what is so valuable. When we say skina, and we think about how there was once a time where Klal Yisrael was on the cusp of being able to save itself from destruction. They, they were going in such a direction of tshuva. And what ended up holding them back was that there were words that were being said that weren't comfortable, that were telling someone to change course. Don't think that you're all that. Think about it a little more deeply and react to someone else's words. And he wasn't able to do that. The tikkun, the way we fix that, the way we overcome that, is to move aside, put aside our personal nagiyas, put aside all of our personal hang-ups and listen. Listen to what someone else has to say. Listen to what a messenger of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us. And in doing so, this mistake that was made that caused a Yeshua, that caused the salvation not to come, we can reverse that and enable salvation to come. Next, Kinnikini Yudbeis. We have a, a refrain, a double refrain, two words that keep uh, repeating themselves. Ahali, a reference to the Ohel of the Besamikdash and the word the use of the word po here. Nikina refers to Asashayeshnapo, the Inenupo, those that are here, those that are not here, a a line taken from uh Chumish in describing how everyone was at Harsinai, Maimed Harsinai, was all inclusive of all of Klal Yisrael, all of the neshamas of Klal Yisrael, whether it be the unborn ones, whether it be the eventual Geirim, Esasher Yeshnopo, Esasher Nenopo, those that are here, those that are not here. That was a sense of what happened at Harsinai, and the Kinez Kulun Asin, that was a sense of what we had when we had a Mikdash. The concept of a bias, the concept of an ohel, is a place that brings together a group, that brings together a family. That was a place that not only did the bounds of whomever was alive at the time, did they all have a place there in the Mikdash, 
But it was something that was transcendent of time. It was Yashnopova Enenopo, somebody that was there, somebody that wasn't there. Klal Yisrael, the Churban Besamikdash. With that Churban comes a period, comes a separation, comes a splitting apart, a family structure that once stood and was anchored in a bias, fell apart. If we look at ourselves nowadays, we look at Klal Yisrael with all of its different angles. The fact that there's no one way to do things, that there are, there are different streams, Chassidim and Litvish and Datilumi uh, and etc. That's that's part of the beauty of Klal Yisrael. That is the, that that is the the the, the breadth of our family and how each person and each unit can be themselves. But when we look at ourselves and we see that within a Klali soul we have fighting, when, when, when you see news clips of things that are going on in Eretz Yisrael, and you look at it as like, okay, here's a country and there are protesters and people are protesting this way and protesting that way. And if, if, I was, uh, if I was stuck in traffic behind three guys who were lying on a highway, what would I do? Would I try to run them over? Would I not? Would I drag them off the street? Would I not? But then when you think about it and you think like, wait a second, these are all Jews. These are all Yidden. There are Yidden fighting Yidden. There are Jews fighting Jews. And look at ourselves. That period that exists, that separation, that inability to come together, that is the lack of a con- that, that that's because we are lacking an ohel. We don't have that all-inclusive tent. We don't have that bias that anchors us as one. We don't feel ourselves all as being sharing the same po, the same same place, the same here, the same now. But once upon a time, there was a bias. It held us all together, and unfortunately, it's gone. All the Asher to after Asher at Liberation, Simki Zekava. Kinna Yud Gimel also has a play on words in a sense that focuses back on the word Echa. So we have the word Echa, Aleph Yud Chav Hei, and it breaks it down to the word a ko. Where is the ko? Where is the word ko? So. Ko omar Hashem. So said Hashem. That's how so much nevuah begins. Uh, that, that, that by the Akedah, uh, Yishmal and Eliezer are told that um, myself and the now we're going to go to ko. We're going to go to somewhere there it's an approximation it's not something that is an absolute defined place when we are following HaKadosh Baruch Nevuah what we know of our instructions often come down to a sense of 
kind of something like this. We don't know where we're going, but we do know that what we've got to do is we've got to follow him. When Avram and Yitzchak are going to the Akedah, they don't know where they're going. They don't know how it's going to get pulled off. Avram Avinu knowing, Yitzchak is my son from whom I'm supposed to have offspring. Yitzchak is the son that I have to kill right now. How does that work? But following HaKadosh Baruch Hu is following the Ko. It's not necessarily with clarity, but it's following HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When we think about throughout the ages, all of those who went through Gates Almaves, who went through the Valley of Death, the Gehenim of Siberia, the Gehenim of the camps, and you hear stories of those who were Shom Shabbos, determination. How does, how does such a thing work? How does a person live their life saying that, listen, what I do know is that I have to be an Oivet Hashem. I have my Avodas Hashem. How's it going to work out here? No idea. But that's not for me to plan. I do what I do. Kodesh Baruch Hu takes care of the rest. That's living a life with ko. A ko. Where is that sense of our being able to follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even when things are vague, even when things are unclear, even when we don't quite understand how this makes sense, how this brings us to the finish line, how am I going to be able to live my life, be happy, etc., and yet work in, make sure that my values are those of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, those of the Torah. How, how, how do I make that all happen? Eiko, we had a time when we were strong in our ability to follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu in such a way. And now, Eiko, where is that? And it's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Is where is that? Where do we find that within ourselves? that we have this capacity, we have this ability. Because when we ask the question of Eicha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how could this happen? The response bouncing back at us is, Eicho, where's your ko? Follow me. Follow me blindly. Follow me through clouds. Follow me through, through, through fog. F- follow me through areas and places and ideas that you don't quite know how to get to the end of them. But follow me in doing so. That's lechtech acharai b'amidbar. That's following Hakadosh Baruch Hu in the desert, Beretz Lozrua, where there was no food. What were we going to do? We didn't ask questions. We followed him, and when we do that, that is the pathway back to Geula. Next, Kino Kino Yedalid. The Beginning is Eicha is Asher Kvar Alas, it's already been done. And this is a reference to the idea that already from the beginning of time, 
we see that Chazal, Darshan, So each of those words is, is referring to one of the Gullises that Klal goes through. So it's like, wait a second. So this is already built in. So we kind of like didn't have a choice other than to go to Gullis. So why is that our fault? Why do we have to experience this? It's, it's almost a taina on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a claim against HaKadosh Baruch Hu that you planted already, so we're living through it. So what are we supposed to do? What the Medrash means and what Chazal are telling us is that the Gezerah wasn't that for sure Kalal Yisrael is going to sin and they're going to need to go to Gullus. But what HaKadosh Baruch Hu created was that there's a potential for a break and therefore there's potential for a repair. If you have something that if, if there are parts of ourselves that have the ability to heal. So I can skin my, I can, I can skin my knee and then built in to myself is the ability for the regrowing of skin. Just because it's built in that I can regrow skin, it doesn't mean that I have to skin my knee. It's a potential for something. And what it's really showing us is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be. He loves us. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu figured, there are times when this whole thing could break. Where Kalal Yisrael's consistent belief in Hashem, and commitment to Hashem, where it's going to falter. So what's going to be when that happens? If a person has a condition in which they can't stop bleeding and a person cuts themselves, there's no way to fix it. There's nothing to do about it. It's just that it's, 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 it's broken. It's broken and it's, and it's broken not, and there's no comeback. Kodesh Baruch Hu put in breakpoints into Kalal Yisrael that yes, there is the capacity for breaking. There is the capacity for us to Khalila fall apart, for things to go wrong. But it's built into this as a mahalach of tikkun. It's not that we, we, we leave Hashem and then we're just gone and we can't come back. The concept of galus is that we have a place where there is a mahalach, there is a way for us to be masakin, for us to fix ourselves, to bring ourselves back. The idea that Hashem programmed galus into our world means that Hashem programmed the notion that we may stray, but He has the tether on us to always keep us coming back. But the bottom line is that ultimately it's up to us. The the Chorbanos that exist are there for us to be able to break, but not fall totally into disrepair. We have the repair. And that repair is something that's in our hands. Next, Kina Kina Tezvav. There is a 
A line over here where you have Tovu Tirosayu The gates sank into the sank into the earth, and we are silenced. Whoever passed me, like they just like, Ooh, they say in amazement, what did such a person do to deserve such a punishment? But still, it's good to hope, submissively, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's salvation. When we, again, focus on the loss of the Beis HaMikdash, the gates of the Beis HaMikdash, Chazal tell us that our tefillos would go from everywhere and go to the gates of the Beis HaMikdash. They corresponded to the gates of the Beis HaMikdash in Shemayim. And HaKadosh Baruch that was the gateway for our tefillos to go to HaKadosh Baruch It's the Shah HaShemayim. It's the gateway to heaven. Without a Mikdash, that gateway is something that is not as easy to access. And our tefillos don't have the same efficacy, the same power that they once did. And certainly, in Eichel we say, Sasam tefilosenu, that our tefillos, with the destruction of this mikdash, have been shut down. But tov v'yachul v'duma, but we're told that, listen, while the connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not as obvious and not as clear, and our tefillah may feel to ourselves dry, hard, disconnected, but maintaining an internal kivoy, having an internal desire, longing for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is something that connects us to Hashem, even without verbal tefillah. And even in silence, we can find connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's for us to keep in mind that this churban is something that we suffer so, through so greatly. But at the same time, we have this within us. We have this tov v'duma, that a person has the ability to long for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, internally connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in doing so, we're able to keep the spark alive that can bring us back to a state of binyan besamikdash. begins by talking about Titus Harasha coming into the mikdash, the tremendous disrespect that he had for the Beis HaMikdash. And then, he ends talking about the story of the boatloads of children that are being taken to Rome to be used in for tremendous, disgusting, immorality and they're t- being taken back in three ships and Chazal tell us the story that they wonder what's the right thing for them to do 
is it the right thing for them to throw themselves into the sea, not subject themselves to the horrors of what life would have been in Rome? And so they die. They throw themselves into the sea. When somebody dies at sea, there's no zecher, there's no place to mark where they're buried. There's nothing remaining of them. The Churbanos of Klal Yisrael have had so much of this come true. People being lost How many people died of the six million that we don't know their names? They didn't have families or their entire family was wiped out. They came, they were here, but nothing is left. It's an innate human need from the time of Chava Chava names her child Kayin Kanisi as Hashem. And one of the pshatim in what she's saying is that I've bought a future. I've bought eternity because I'm able to live, to live forever, to leave a mark on this world. And of course, everyone dies. It's part of life. But everyone wants to leave a legacy, a way in which they remain. Offspring, having accomplished something, a message that their life represented, or even just a place in the ground that marks that this person one time existed here. Think about it sometimes with my own family, that there are different characters, grandparents, great-grandparents, I don't know anything about. And at the time that I started to wonder about them, they already weren't here. And so those things seem like they're lost. Refusnik once described how he was told, you're going to go to Siberia and no one will ever know you existed. And there's a certain Gehenim in that. So when these kids are on this ship, on these ships, and they're wondering, what should we do? What's deeply bothering them is that they're not going to exist. They're gone. When, when, when they're gone, then they're, they're, they're totally lost. But a Kodesh Baruch Hu tells them, and they get Ruch Kodesh that tells them that, no, 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 it's the right thing to do. Because when we talk about what is real, 
when we talk about what has mamish, what has reality, it's what a person does. It's how they live with their connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the eternal reality. If you are connected to Him, if you are tied into Him, if you are davuk in Him, if you cleave to Him, then you are part of that eternal reality as well. So when they ask the question, what should we do? They're told, even as the depths are taking their soul, what they're praying is saying, they placed their hope in the one who promised to make them mamish, to make them real, to make them a thing, to, make them, to give them existence. We have a goof, Rabbi Gershon Libin, who we talked about earlier, he one time described, it says that Golos came about through the request of Avram Avinu. And it's a description of what would, what, what should, what should Klaus all have? They need to be cleansed. Should they have Golos? Should they have suffering in Golos or should they have Gehenim? And Avram Avinu chooses Golos. And the reason is because Golos, you're breaking my body. My goof isn't me. My neshama. That's who I am. So have at it in this world. But leave the neshama intact. When these kids threw themselves into the water. And it would seem that therefore they were totally lost. They were children. They didn't have children. They didn't have anybody who was going to follow, who was going to carry their legacy. But look at this. It's 2,000 years later. And year after year after year, Klal Yisrael gets together and talks about these people and talks about these children and talks about the sacrifice that they were willing to make in order to preserve the Kedusha. And it's telling us that what we are all about is that connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's get in touch with reality. The reality is this sense of what is my job in this world as Hashem sees it. That's who I am, that's what I am. The message of Gullus, the message of all of those who were quote-unquote lost, is that they're not lost. They're never lost. They didn't have, yes, they don't have a caver, and they didn't have a Leviah, they didn't have any of that. But what they were willing to give their lives for, what they lived for, what they died for, that's real, that's here, and that's something that lasts forever. Next, Kine Kineyad Zayin. Talks about the different klalos, the different parts of the Tochacha that came true. In Tochano Nashim Piryam Olaleitz Fuchim. The cooking of children, eating, mothers eating their children, people starving. People starving, they'll be driven to the point of insanity and they'll do anything. 
It's a klala that things are so bad. And it's a klala in that there is a destruction of the essence of a human being. Parents, by definition, are merachim al benehem. They have rachmanos on their children. And when you have nashim rachmanios, who suddenly are able to eat their children, it's something, it's, 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 a, it's a situation that reveals a breakdown. It's an amazing thing. I saw there's a Sefer. Sefer called me Ma'amakim. There was uh, someone, his name was Rev Ashri, who was a Rav in the Kovna Ghetto. He was one of the postkim there. And we'll talk about it more as we go on. But he records all of the different shilas that came mimamakim, that came from the depths, when, when, when the Gehenim was Gehenim. And there were questions that no Mishnah Brura talks about. No such thing. These, these are questions that, 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 that bespeak a, a, a horror of life. And when there was the famous situation where a plane crashed in the Andes and people survived for a long time in the, in, the, in the 70s, and part of the survival involved cannibalism, a reporter, I think, came to Rav Ashri and asked him, and he published this in, in one of his farm, and asked him, what, did you ever get shilas about cannibalism? in the ghetto and in the camps. And he said that it's unbelievable because while there are stories in POW camps of cannibalism, he says that he does not know of any situation, even though it's 100% mutter. He was never asked the Shiloh. And he doesn't know of any situation in the Holocaust where it happened. There is something within us. There's something that is essentially within us, a ben adam, a human. That a chorban is an absolute destruction of who we are, what we are, a breakdown of our identity. A person refuses to listen when somebody gives him, tells him off, tells him what's wrong. When we're not honest with ourselves. So then, if you're not honest with yourself, so then you as a person, you break down. HaKadosh Baruch Hu answers us at the end of this kina, And he says, I'll tell you, V'ruach HaKadosh L'mula Marim, Hoya kol shechene heroim, Mashihikra modiyim, V'es asher asu l'modiyim. You know something? You don't listen. You don't talk about there's, there's, there's Ruach HaKodesh that's coming at you and you're not listening to it. That's what causes the breakdown of the person. But essentially within Klal Yisrael, we have this Midah to be able to listen. And we have this Midah to not be able to let ourselves go. Rav Gershon Libman, when he was in the camps, there was a hanhaga, there was a, a, a way of being that Navardikers have of doing what's called the Tainus Haraivet, 
which is, it's a tanis that the Ravid, the Risha and the Ravid talks about such a, such a itainis. The idea behind it is, it's not fasting. Fasting on a regular basis hurts a person. It's, it's, a, it's, it's physically destructive. A person's not going to have koach. It's going to affect all of their, the rest of their avodah Hashem. It's something that we reserve for here and there throughout the year. That's, all, that's, that's it. It's not, a, it's not a, a, an appropriate daily avodah for, for 99.99999% of people. Tainus Arrived is that when a person is eating something, when a person is enjoying something, it's to have the sense of control. I don't need this. And to be able to not eat everything. Gershon Lippmann is in a camp. And there's a ration of bread. And the ration of bread is basically figure out how many calories a person needs to exist and give less. And the hunger. I was just glancing last night, one of my grandmothers describing her experiences in the camps. And the thing that she described was just this, the overwhelming sense that, that just was with you at every waking moment was starvation and hunger, just being hungry. Gershon Libin's there the first day. He gets his ration of bread, eats part of it, leaves the rest behind, puts it down, says, anybody want it? So his Talmidim, they, they took it, they held it to the side, and they figured, okay, he'll be hungry later, they'll give it to him later. Day after day after day after day. And people said to him, you're, 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 what are you doing? This is not... Tainus arrive at okay, so you're sitting at home and you're eating a, you know, a steak, so you want to leave off a piece of steak. You don't eat the whole piece of chicken. Hey, leave off a little kugel. This is, what are you doing? He said, this is who I am. This is my hanhaga. This is something that I accepted upon myself. They're not going to break me. They're not going to take me away from me. I am who I am. The golos that we had, what's described in Eicha, and what Klai Yisrael has gone through, is this loss of ourselves brought on by golos. And it's what we lament. Alalaili, woe is to us, alas is to me, that such a thing has happened to Klai Yisrael. And as we try to emerge from golos, it's with a sense of recognizing that our needing to hold on to ourselves, to listen when we're being told things about ourselves, to react, to not lose the essence of who we are, that's what we can do to hold on and to bring about Geula. Next, You said that you're going to be good with us. So why are all these things happening? There's so much good that was promised. <clears throat> but look what we've gotten. If a child lives in a home where a parent is loving and caring, but every so often that parent flips a switch and beats them, there is a, a trauma 
child is tortured by the contradiction and they have to come to grips with the knowledge that it's not their fault it's not the fault of the child but that the parent has a mental illness but what if that's not what really is going on what if you know that it is your fault what if someone who can be somebody who could be so good suddenly turns so harsh but you know that it's because of you that you know that it is your fault that's the horror of this kinna it's the recognition that it really is us. Next kina, kini yates. You say, Lucha Hashem That a Kaddush Baruch everything that you give is tzedakah, v'lanu boshes upon him, and we, all we have is boshes upon him. Boshes upon him is something, it can get us a kapara. When a person is given tzedakah and they act as though it's coming to them, it's, it's, it's so wrong. The expectation is undeserved. When a person is getting something and you have no way of paying it back, what you have to offer is boishas upon him. The head of the Vilna Ghetto was a person who had become secular, intermarried. He was interned in the ghetto. His wife did not have to be. And on Simchas Torah, he came into the shul where they were still able to have hakafos, probably for the last time. And when he came in, so he was a person, they offered him a Sefer Torah. And he said, no, I'm a Trefer person. I don't belong with a Sefer Torah. At least he realized that he had reached rock bottom. At least he recognized that I should be embarrassed to be seen with this Torah. The only way to ask for tzedakah is to have boshes upon it. How we approach HaKadosh Baruch Hu and how we approach life I need this, I need this, why don't I have this, why don't I have that? It's a totally skewed sense of how we are supposed to be with Him. Everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us. And this is Golos, this is not Golos, this is always. Everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us is Tzedakah. We don't do anything that deserves something. Belanu Boshes upon Him.
our approach to HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to be with Boshas Aponim. And this is a sense of how we are able to do tshuva and enter into a realm of tshuva. It's with Boshas Aponim. It's with a recognition of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's things we should have done and yet you keep giving us and giving us and giving us and giving us. And even as we're thinking about the galus that we're in and the hardships that we've experienced, it's still boshes upon it. Because life itself is something that we don't deserve. And so, as we think about where we're at, where we want to go, it's with the sense of l'cha Hashem but a recognition that our job is v'lonu boshes haponim. The next kina kina chaf. Hatei elokai aznecha. We ask Hashem, could you please listen? This sifletes mina etes miliva shemayim. How the disgusting ones blaspheme, saying there's no one to fear up in shemayim. <clears throat> Is, is a term that we use in reference to our own tefillos. We ask Hashem, please, Hashem, listen. Listen to what we're asking you. But over here, we're turning it around and we're saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Could you listen? Hate Ozen is a sense of listening very carefully. Can you listen very carefully to everything that they're saying? Because we want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to hear exactly what's going on. We want them to hear exactly what the Goyim are saying. We want that at times, the non-Jews, the world that is not with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they dress up their talk and make it sound almost reasonable and elevated. Isn't apartheid terrible? Shouldn't we all be pro-democracy? Isn't people being able to have the ability to choose whatever they want, about whatever they want, isn't that the ultimate in granting respect to others? But when you listen very carefully, what's going on is that they're pushing HaKadosh Baruch Hu away. They're saying that the morals and values that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put into this world gave us that they don't hold weight they're not real HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hatei Elokai Oznecha it's true that maybe we haven't been the people that we're supposed to be and maybe we haven't been doing our job the way it's supposed to be done but HaKadosh Baruch Hu please Listen to what they're saying because they're taking this world away from you. Everything that they express as loftily and as wonderful as they may make it sound, they are expressing a hatred of you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They're trying to rip you out of this world. And therefore we say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, listen closely to what they're saying and bring an end to this gallus. Next kina kina chafalaf arze halavanon adirei Torah. It's a kina about the asare harugei malchus, 
and how <clears throat> they were put to death as a way of being mechaper for Klal Yisrael. And this really serves as an example for us of how the death of tzaddikim serve as a they give us the ability to have kapara in the world. It gives zechus to the world. There's a description of the death of Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol, who was a beautiful person, who was a person who was obviously beautiful inside, but was tremendously handsome. And as he is being taken to be killed, the daughter of the barbarians would come, uh, the daughters of the, the barbarians, she said, such a beautiful person, could we, sh- could, we, could, we, could we keep his face? And the way he's put to death is by having a razor go skinning his head so that that beauty could be preserved. And we'll talk about later how ultimately that skin was used by the Romans. They would bring it out for a ceremony that would uh, be done every 70 years. The idea that somebody would go and say, I want, to, I want that beauty, so therefore skin that person, take that skin, is a description of the difference between us and them. It's the difference between wherein lies the value of a person, wherein lies beauty. For that princess, beauty was quite literally something that was skin deep. That's all it was. It was some sort of external thing. Rip it off the person who possesses it. And it's as though that beauty doesn't go away for her. But that's not the way it is. Because the beauty of these Gedole Torah, the beauty of who these people are and what they were all about, is not in that skin at all. It's in their essence. And again, it's this difference Making, if making sure that we recognize the difference between the us and the them and realizing that these are our Arizei Halavonon, these are our Adirei Torah that what we value are the things having to do with eternal value it's the Gedole Torah that are the ones that we look to for direction they are the ones that we look to when we want to say we want our children to be like someone it's because it's not an external beauty 
Life isn't about those externalities. Life is about what goes on inside. And it's that life of, intern, of, of innerness, of having that inside, that is really what life is all about. That's what these people lived for. That's what these people died for. And as we are in our gullus, it has to be with a sense of recognizing that that is our identity as well. Next kinah, kinah of Beis, is a kinah about the Crusades, the, the first of four kinos that, that were written about the Crusades. And there is a, a focus on the children and how the children were brought Al-Kiddush Hashem it says how they weren't Zoycha to Legadelchem B'Torah Nagrivchem Ka'ola V'Haktorah but you're being brought like an Ola you're being brought in a way that is an offering to HaKadosh Baruch when somebody dies Al-Kiddush Hashem A father who lost a child, again in Meron. The place where that tragedy happened was in the area of the Toldos Aaron group. They had lit the Madura. They had sang Animamin. And then they had a public Kabbalah Salmachal Shemayim saying Shema, etc., Hashem Elokim, all together. And then everything collapsed. The Rebbe, needless to say, was unconsolable. So, a father who lost a child was trying very hard to get through to the Rebbe. And he called and he called during Shiva. And he finally got back a message from the Rebbe. I'm so sorry. I, I, I have nothing to say. I, I don't have a way to give you Nechama. The father said, I, I want to speak to the Rebbe anyway. And when he spoke to the Rebbe, he said, I wasn't calling you with Tainus. I, I, I don't have any complaints against you. And I wasn't calling because I'm expecting to get any answers from you. I was calling to thank you. Thank you for allowing my son to have died after such a heartfelt Kabbalah's Olmachu Shemayim. That's a Jewish parent. We've been talking about what's real, what's important. What do we want from our children? What real Nachas is? The depths 
of devotion created by the Kedoshim of crusades, of holocaust, of tragedy, of terror. Those are the things that Klal Yisrael is all about. And those are the things that we each need to discover in ourselves. Next kina is the kina that describes the story of the children of Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol about how his son and his daughter each from the again beautiful beautiful people physically internally were taken captive and their two masters met up with each other decided to mate them together and how each one goes through the night saying to themselves how could it be that the son of Aaron Akoyen is going to have to be with some lowly shifcha, some lowly maidservant. And then she's sitting in her corner saying, how could the daughter of Yocheved be paired up with some Eved? And then they wake up, and then as the morning rises and they see each other, they realize that they're brother and sister and they cry and cry together and till their neshamas leave them. It's interesting, the Ben asked the question, he says, why were they upset afterwards? Why were they upset? It wasn't, it wasn't what they thought. It, what, they, they each ended up, so, so be happy that you discover that you're not with an Evid. Be happy that you discover that you're not with a Shivcha. And he answers because each one called the other one when he realized that the whole night he's talking about this girl on the other side of the room and he's talking about someone who's the Bas Yochevet, who's the daughter of Aaron Akoin, and he's referring to as a shifcha, he's referring to as a lowly person. Oh, how could I have done that? And she's saying, I'm talking about this guy that he's some sort of evid, some sort of lowlife, some sort of, uh, you know, who knows who he is. And he ends up being the son of the Kohen Gadol. How could I have done that? That's why they were upset. They were upset about the way they spoke about each other, which is definitely a tremendous lesson about how we talk about things and how we talk about people. But what's also is true is that there was a gezerah. There was a gezerah that something or someone of tremendous value, someone who was a Kohen, someone who was a Bas Kohen, who had so much Kedusha inside, how there was a gezerah that they should become that they should become impurified, that something should happen to them that was inappropriate for someone of their standing and of their level. And it's a sensitivity to the covet of the kahuna that was, even though it ended up being not happening, but that Xero existed to drag the covet of, of, of the kahuna. The way we are ma'arich things, the way we value things, the way we value others, is something that's so important and so powerful and says so much about who we are. Gershon Libman, one of his jobs in the camps was that he had to serve 
like a waiter, to the Nazis. And one day he walks in with their food and he sees that the tablecloth on their table is a talus. And he puts down the food and he rips the talus out from on top of the table, sending everything spilling to the floor. He was beaten almost literally to death. When they took his body out, they were bringing him to the morgue or where they kept the bodies until they burnt them. And then someone felt that there was a faint pulse and they were able to bring him back to life. We could all guess that Reb Gershon understood that ripping the tablecloth out from under the Nazis when they're about to eat because it's a talus was a, uh, a risky move that was going to be met with almost certain death. What was he doing? When a person values a mitzvah, when a person values something of Kedusha, and they see that it's being run through the dirt, when they see that it's being disrespected, a person who has the, 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 the sense of, of, of a pinchas in them, the person who has the sense of zealousness for the honor of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you don't think that talis is not going to be their tablecloth as long as I'm standing here. That's the sense of it. And it's that kind of feeling towards things of Kedusha. It's that kind of feeling towards Torah. It's that kind of feeling towards Kahuna, towards the things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu granted us to make us special, to make us unique. That is what we're lamenting over here, the degradation of those things. Kinnach of Dalid focuses on the kalim that were taken from the Besamikdash. And uh, one of the kalim that's obviously mentioned over here is Gaiva Ota Vechiba Hamenora. How Nebuchadnezzar went and he extinguished the menorah is a way of extinguishing the light of the menorah Chazal said that Hashem extinct, Hashem's Avelos for the Chorban was expressed in the extinguishing of that light when we talk about the Avelos of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the sense of HaKadosh Baruch Hu being in Golos and being in Avelos. One of the rules of Avelos is that you're not supposed to be Yatsumi Beso. A person's not supposed to leave their home. A person is not supposed to be out there. Golos is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's projection into this world being held back, that we can't see him and feel him in ways that we were able to when we had a mikdash. And so we are living 
literally, figuratively, in darkness. And our job, our job is even without the menorah, even with HaKadosh Baruch Hu withdrawn from projecting himself in our world, our job is to look for him, is to see him and to realize that he is here and running our world. So as we think about all these kalim taken from the Beis HaMikdash, a Beis HaMikdash that we have no longer, it's really a sense of connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we have no longer, that we are lamenting. Next, Kinah, Kinah is another Kinah about the Crusades. And these were Crusades, we say Avarachamim during Yemei HaSfira, almost always, regardless of uh, other rules that, that usually determine when we say Avarachamim, doesn't exactly follow Tachanun, because the timing of these was at a time of, the t- was, was during this time of year, during the time of year of Sphira of Matan Torah. And we even have a description of how that we have a, a, a crusade taking place during Sivan, starting it seems on the third day of Sivan, and it says that it was that on the, I hoped on the day of the law that we would have be able to renew our connection to Torah. That on the day of its giving, it was taken back. And the loss, the Crusades took place at the time of the Bali Tosfos. So much of our understanding of everything having to do with Yiddishkeit, Shas, Halacha, comes from the Bali Tosfos, comes from that Tekufa, that time of the Bali Tosfos and where they were in Germany and those areas. And the Balitosis themselves suffered through these crusades. The inability for them to live any place peacefully, the literal Balitosis were killed. They were the Kadosha that are being referred to over here. So there's so much story that we have from them there's so much Torah that we obviously lost. And it's a Torah that is twofold. It's a Torah informationally, but more than that, it's a Torah of Torah people, people embodying Torah, people who are Torah, those that living Torah. That's what is being described here as us Chazra, then it went back. Throughout the Doros, through all of the different calamities that have befallen Klal Yisrael, so much Torah has been lost. Whether it be books, whether it be the Torah that could have been written, whether it be the people, the people themselves who live Torah, who exude Torah, whose life is all about Torah. That's what we mourn. That's what was lost. When there are things that we have to give up, it has to be with the sense of that counts every drop of blood literally 
and figuratively. And it is something that he doesn't just have, but it's something that becomes part and parcel of his royal begotten. We show that he's our king when we are most nefesh for him. And don't think that it's not valued. It is the most invaluable thing that we have to offer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is that sense of Mesiris Nefesh that we have for him. Next kinah we're going to do, we're going to skip the kinah Lamed Aleph, H. Tukad Bekirbi on page 304 in the Art Scroll. It describes a contrast of Betsesi mi Mitzrayim, how wonderful things were when we left Mitzrayim, and Betsesi Mushalayim, how horrible things were when we left Yerushalayim. Every Giloi of HaKadosh Baruch Hu can be seen through seeing Tov and Ra. In Parshas Kisavo we have the Parsha of Bikurim, and then followed by that, 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 following that we have the Parsha of the Tochacha. And it's showing us that, listen, there are two ways to see Hashem. You can see Hashem in the good, and you can see Hashem chas v'shalom in the Tochacha. But when we think about the idea of contrasting, when if somebody is a healthy person and they also have a very healthy diet, they eat very, you know, they, they're very, very careful about everything they put in their body, very, very natural, very good, very healthy. So a person can say that, hey, I think that there is a relationship between the health of this person and the healthiness of the person's diet. But if you have that same person, and then he goes and he starts, gets off that diet and he starts eating all kinds of junk and then his health goes off the rails. The contrast, the idea that there was the good and then the bad and that by removing the good, all of a sudden everything went, rad, went bad, that shows that that relationship between the cause and effect was real. When we think about the picture of us with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and us without HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Us B'tseisi Mimitzrayim, us B'tseisi Yerushalayim. It's very clear that there's one ingredient that we have, the one ingredient that we need in life in order for things to be the way they should be. And that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu with us. We're going to go now to Kina Lamedalid on page 320 in the Art Scroll. It is a Kina that describes how Zechariah Hanavi was, came and he protested when Avodah was brought into the Beis Mikdash and he was giving Musr to the people and as a result of his words that he was stoned and he was stoned to death he was a Kayan, he was a Navi he was a, he was a Shofet he was a he, this was a desecration of the Beis HaMikdash on Yom Kippur that was also a Shabbos horrible crime and Chazal tell us how the blood Gemara Gittin tells us how the blood of 
Zechariah would lie on the floor of the Beit HaMikdash bubbling, boiling away. When it was and it was, it was like that for 250 years. When Nebuzaradan came and he saw the blood, he asked, what is this? And he was told, oh, you know, it's uh, Carbonos blood, just some leftover. He said, no, 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 that's not it. Doesn't fit, doesn't make sense. And finally they admitted that they had killed a Kohen, a Navi in the base of Mikdash. And he said, it looks like this blood requires some kapara. And we have a description in the Gemara of the tens of thousands children of young adults of over 940,000 were killed all in order to bring a nechama so to say or to give a nechama for the dam of Zechariah and finally Nebuzaradan himself our enemy has to go and ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for Rachamim, for Klal Yisrael. In Vilna, there's a story that there was a, a, a cobbler that was able to get his hands on some money somehow, but he was a shoemaker, that's what he was. And back in Europe, everything was very class-oriented. It's like if you were a cobbler, you had to you couldn't be too, uh, you know, you had to stick with the cobblers. That, that's, that, that was your place. So there was a certain simcha hall that was reserved for the upper crust. And this cobbler had enough money and he made a, he made a chasna above his station, so to say. But he was able to afford it. He was able to pay for it. The highfalutin people were very upset. And they, they weren't happy with this person using this, uh, using their place. So in the middle of the chasna, one of these upper crust people walked over to the father of the kala and said, took off his shoes and he said, I have these shoes, how much is it gonna cost to fix them? Just total degradation in public. Rabbi Sol Salanta heard the story and he said, that ultimately Klal Yisrael is a sidin litenes hadin that there's going to be a future where there's a din that takes place for such a thing happening because it was a modern day or relatively modern day version of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa where it shows a churbon in Midos where it shows that Midos fall apart and that's the crack that shows, but really what it's revealing is that everything that's underneath it, the foundation, is no good. The fact that somebody felt comfortable being, doing that in the middle of someone else's chasna, it shows that this was considered acceptable. If it's considered acceptable, that means that we have a society and we have leaders of that society that consider that to be acceptable behavior. So just like Kamsa and Bar Kamsa had that the Tamid HaChachamim sat there and watched as the degradation took place, same idea over here. So Rabbi Shalom Salantar said, Asidin, Litin, Asadin, they're going to have to give judgment 
not just these people. Klal Yisrael is going to have to give judgment. It's going to have to, there's going to be a payback for such a thing when a tzibur acts this way. When we have the description of something like what happened with Zechariah Hanavi, how Klal Yisrael falls apart to such a point, it reminds us of the need for us to hold on to the midos that we have, to work on ourselves, to push ourselves forward, so that when, when the, the Nefesh HaChaim describes, the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash was basically taking something that was hollow and knocking it down. Big deal. Big deal. Titus, Nebuchadnezzar, they, did, they, didn't, they didn't destroy the Beis HaMikdash. We did. Because there's an internal Mikdash, and it's built on Midos, it's built on Rais and Tovu. And when we lose those things, when we lose ourselves, that's the ultimate in Chorba. We're going to go now to Kina Lamed Vav. We're just going to, what we're going to do now is we're going to do Kina Lamed Vav, which is at Sion. Uh, at the end of the Kinos, we have these expressions of longing for Eretz Yisrael, for Yerushalayim. And then we'll do the, uh, the, the Kino for the Kedoshim of the Holocaust and, uh, and, and, and conclude there. This Kino, Kino Lamed Vav, <clears throat> talking about the beauty and delight of Sion and the, the idea of us longing for something that we don't have. And it really gets back to, again, a sense of how do we relate to things of Kedusha? How do we relate to things that connect us to HaKadosh Baruch Story is told of someone who was of Sholem Kiver. He was from Kiev. He was a Nevardiker, and he, in I think it was in, he was in Siberia, and he had his tefillin. He was able to get his take his tefillin with him, and he was able to sneak and be able to use them. One day, it was realized that he had tefillin, and they were taken away from him. The next morning, he walked out and he rolled up his sleeve, took off his jacket, rolled up his sleeve, and he looked up to Shemaim and he said, May the desire and the love for the mitzvah of tefillin that I have be in place and be ke'ilu that I did it. There are things that we don't have but we should have tsar, we should have pain, we should have a sense of longing, we should have a sense of missing it for those things that we don't have. And Eretz Yisrael should have that power on us. We should, we should go through our lives longing for a place, for a place where the Nevi'im walked, where our Avos HaKadoshim walked, where the Shekhinah was something that was real, it was something that you could feel, it was something that was really there. That's the longing of Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi in these kinos. And while we can say the words, maybe one day, maybe at some point, we'll be able to really feel that feeling. If you read the Sefer, you'll find that the answer to this question 
Can one say, Shleyaseni Oved in a concentration camp is really quite obvious. Rebbe, it's impossible for me to have Kavana in Shema because there are constant interruptions. What's the halacha of if I get stopped in the middle of what I'm able to continue or do I repeat it? What if I'm going to miss Isman Kriya Shema? Rebbe, we found a place to have davening b'tzibur. But if anybody comes, certain people aren't supposed to be in this area and they're going to have to hide in a pit. Do they count for a minion? Can we still say Dvarm Shabbat Rebbe, I was the person in charge of finding flour so that we can collect flour little by little, smuggle in flour so that we can bake matzahs. And over the year, I was able to get so much flour together and a few of us got together and here in the ghetto, we were able to bake matzahs. But just a few days ago, right before Pesach, I was caught, I was caught with some flour. And I was beaten up. And every single one of my teeth was knocked out of my mouth. The only way for me to ingest any of this matzah that we made is if I soak it. And my family, we have a minig of gebrachts. Rebbe, can I be matter neder to be able to eat matzah this Pesach? Rebbe, I was caught smuggling. And they beat me and they cut off my left arm. Can I put on tefillin? Can someone put tefillin on my right arm or will I be out to the mitzvah? Maybe I'm, t- I'm 12 years old and I don't think I'm going to make it to 13. Can I put on tefillin just so that I have that experience before I leave this world? Rebbe, my family's starving. Our neighbors were taken out and shot. Can we use their things? Because there's halacha that when someone dies, their property belongs to their yarsha, belongs to the people that inherit them. Is it mutter for us to take their things? Rebbe, Wars over. I met up for my wife. 
but my wife had been taken by the Nazis. And she had been used for disgusting purposes. And she has a tattoo on her that says this person was a prostitute for Hitler's soldiers. Can I remain married to her? Does she have to remove the tattoo? Should she remove the tattoo? And the answer to that question was, of course you could remain married to her and she should keep the tattoo because it's a badge of honor. The Holocaust is often looked at as an event that solidified Jewish identity because you couldn't run and you couldn't hide and you couldn't intermarry your way out of it. And it was a national tragedy that brought everyone together, screams to the heavens and speaks to the heart of every Jew. But here's the truth is that the Holocaust is something that teaches us and solidifies Jewish identity because it helps us recognize who and what we are all about. In the ghetto, in the camps, these are the Shayla, these are the Shailas. Being a Jew is not being a person who's a resident of this world with its mundane concerns. Our identity is our neshama. Our area of concern is our Torah and how those two things go together. That's who we are. The Kedusha of that woman was not unsullied, untouched. Her Kedushin to her husband, totally intact. Should a person say Shalaya Sani Avid? Absolutely. Because an Eved is someone who does not have a self. It is a person who lives for others, who has no identity. But in these camps and in these ghettos, there were no slaves. Because who they were and what they were all about was untouched and remained 100% intact. The Holocaust teaches us who we truly are. It shows the depths of cruelty and how depraved the Amalek of our world was. And it shows the true holy essence of who we are. Chal Yisrael is nimshal Zayas, but compared to an olive. Give it a squeeze, and the best part comes out. There was so much that was lost, so many that were lost. And anyone who lives today 
all these years later, is a survivor. And the job of a survivor is to carry that legacy forward. Another Shaila, Rebbe. There's a couple who wants to get married. And they want to rebuild. And they're hearing Kovna after the war, seeing how everything Jewish was either stolen or destroyed. And there is nothing, literally nothing, to use as a chuppah except a parochas, found parochas from an Arna Kodesh. Can we use it as a chuppah? And he was matir. He said, yes. Think about that parochas. Parochas for an Arna Kodesh above a couple that had emerged from a churban inappropriate? No way. How appropriate? Because it became clear that to build the future bias of Klal Yisrael, it's not something of this physical world. It's something that belongs inside of an Arna Kodesh. It's something of holiness. It's something of sanctity. And therefore, Proches is a chuppah? Absolutely. As we think about this Chorban that took place, and everything that was lost, and how we, we were Zohar to remain, to survive, to have this world, it has to be with a sense of recognizing and understanding who we are. What is it that gives us life? What is it that makes us tick? What is it that our lives are all about? It's our inner selves. It's our neshamas. We are people who can never be avadim. We are people who can never be slaves. Because we always who we are. are we are who we are with our essences given over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when we live our lives like that, when we carry, for their, carry forth their legacy, as we described earlier when we described those children who jumped into the sea, and no one is lost, everyone, all of those Kedoshim are able to live in their Kedusha forever. Here we conclude with Elitzion on page 390, uh, describing the, the idea that Zion and Klal Yisrael feel like a woman suffering from birth where there is something that will come from everything. And as we described you before, there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no tsar of Klal Yisrael that is not for a reason. And Ezra Hashem will be able to see that geula and see what it was all for and what it was all about.